This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with your teacher, Brian Johnston. I'm your host, John, and this time it's the final talk in our present series called The Triumph of Christ Crucified. This title is chosen because the image of the triumphant procession of a conquering Roman general and his soldiers is used by Paul in his New Testament letters and used to compare with aspects of the victorious conquest of Christ. It's all described in the transcript booklet which goes with this set of four programmes and I'll tell you how to get one later after Brian's uh, talk. So now we're ready to hear from Brian. Hello again. What we've been looking at in this series and hope to conclude this week is to look at the way in which the Bible makes reference to a Roman triumph. Perhaps you're just joining us as we begin our final instalment. If that's the case, don't worry, we'll once again set the scene. We've described previously the victory parade of a military hero. If his achievement had been significant enough, he was given this great honour when he returned to Rome. And the honour consisted of a procession from the banks of the river Tiber into the heart of the city of Rome, into the Forum, to the very Capitoline Hill itself, and so to the altar of Jupiter. Along the way, all the temples were standing open, with their altars smoking with fragrant incense. And at the head of the procession were the captive leaders and soldiers, usually walking in chains. Their captured weapons and treasures were carted along behind them. And then next in line and all on foot came Rome senators and magistrates and civil servants. And then the general, the special focus of the parade, the celebrated hero of the hour, in his four-horse chariot. A favoured companion might share that chariot with him, sometimes it was his children. His officers and soldiers followed on, and somewhere in the procession, two white oxen were led for sacrifice to the Roman god Jupiter. Finally, bringing up the rear of the procession were the lowest of the low, the captive slaves. And all of this went to the accompaniment of music, clouds of incense and the strewing of flowers. As we've said each time, this was one of the most extravagant displays of Roman supremacy. The general was being celebrated as almost being like a god in his ability to channel divine favour in support of the cause of Roman imperial expansion and in the subordination of all its foes. Such was the profile of this kind of event in those days that it's not surprising the Apostle Paul should adapt it as a biblical analogy for the career of the all-conquering Christ whom the Bible presents as the one making a spectacle of the apostles, as leading believers in triumph, as having already led captivity captive. And this same analogy of a Roman triumph, when it's applied to the crucified Christ, even features the subordination of angelic authorities, which is the final aspect that we want to pick up on today from Paul's letter to the Church of God at Colossae. It's a fascinating insight that we're given there, a dimension of Christ's work on the cross that we seldom think about. But let Paul take up the description in Colossians chapter 2, where he says, reading from verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having cancelled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. 
When the text there says, triumphed over, that's one of the two times when the Bible uses directly the word that relates to a Roman triumphal procession, such as we've been describing in this series. Now, a careful reading of our text shows that it is God who's said to be acting here. In other words, God the Father, not the Lord Jesus. It's God who's said to be disarming the angelic rulers and authorities, making a public display of them and triumphing over them through Christ and his cross work. At the cross, we are told, God put off from himself the angels. What does that mean? Well, as we try to unpack it, first of all, there's nothing in the context to suggest we're dealing with fallen angels. In other words, in the cross of Christ, God showed his power by a bold stroke without using angels. Previously, angels had been called upon to assist at the giving of the law. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, tells us in Acts chapter 7 that the Jews received the law as ordained by angels. In fact, let's listen to an extract from his last speech before he was martyred. Facing his accusers, he says in Acts 7 verse 51, You men who are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. And the Apostle Paul confirms the very same truth in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 when he asks, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. And finally, in support of the same truth, The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 2 referred to the law as the steadfast word spoken through angels when he said, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So this was where we'd got to. We said previously, angels had been called upon to assist at the giving of the law. The Jews, of course, were aware of this all too aware, it seems, and part of the heresy of the Gnostic teachers, who were even then closing in on Colossae, was that they paid far too much respect to this angelic involvement, even going so far as to worship angelic beings. Which is why Paul invokes the imagery of a Roman triumph again, making a big point of God's action at the cross being in Christ alone, which implied the subordination of angelic powers by their non-selection. They had once had the role mentioned in the giving of the law, but they could never have any role in the giving of salvation, which was through the Son. They might have been involved in giving the law, but the removing of its guilt was the work of Christ alone, removing its guilt in the sense that the law which accused us 
and which had become, in effect, a handwritten certificate showing our indebtedness to God, exactly like a criminal's charge sheet, that guilt was removed from us and nailed to the cross, and all without any contribution by any angel. It was solely the work of God's Son. The message here is, we are debtors purely to God's grace, and with Christ none can compare. Like a mighty general, he fought and won the greatest campaign. There are so many facets to this overall victorious picture, the one we've been considering in this series, that of a Roman triumphal procession. Overall, in this series, concluding today as we say, we've seen Paul identify himself with Christ's captive. At other times he identifies instead with an incense bearer, and yet another time he identifies himself with one of Christ's trophies, and there again he speaks of his co-workers as good soldiers, and perhaps even as the family and friends honoured in the general's chariot. His view of it all embraces good as well as bad angels, as we've seen today, and the saved as well as unsaved of humanity. The reconciling viewpoint in all of this is the realisation that to be triumphed over by Christ is to share his triumph, Whatever hardships we endure now, which are truly for the sake of Christ, they'll all be compensated for in an answering, glorious day that's yet to come. The cross, with all its shame, has become the victor's chariot. Christ is the universal conqueror, and he's the one marching in triumph down throughout time and over all in the world until all creation owns his sway. Though for some, that acknowledgement will come too late to save them. But for us... To be triumphed over by Christ now is to share his triumph forever. Life may at times be hard, but remember, we are on the winning side because the war was won for us at the cross, won by Christ alone. Let's say it again. By being triumphed over by Christ, we find our triumph, that is, our share in his triumph. I hope you enjoyed this set of talks from Brian. And if you have any questions or comments, do uh, let us know. But now, as promised, I'll tell you how to get the booklet, which is a transcript of this uh, series of Brian's talks. And it's available free of charge. You can have more than one copy if you're going to use them for group study 
or perhaps to pass on to a friend. But just make sure to let us have your postal address, otherwise we won't know where to send them. And ask for the title, The Triumph of Christ Crucified. There are also back issues of other titles, and I'll tell you how to get those in a moment. But uh, first, here's our postal and our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you miss any of the uh, original programmes or you want to listen again, we have a library of podcasts which you can locate at searchfortruth.podbean.com. I'll say that again, searchfortruth.podbean.com. And uh, some more past titles of Search for Truth booklets are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Type uh, Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programmes. So that's all we have for now. Many thanks for your continuing interest in these programmes. And we start a new series, God willing, next time. So don't forget to tune in, same time, same place, and we look forward to having your company. Until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our studio technician, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you in the coming week.